Welcome. Welcome back. I feel like, isn't there some song by Cotter? Some 70s group. Cotter, Cotter and Company. Um, Welcome back, Cotter. Maybe that was a sitcom? I don't know, but I feel like singing Welcome Back. Uh, Mutonomics 57. I did read the other day, uh, which is interesting. I read that, and I didn't verify the stat. I just read it and tucked it away in my head. But it said that if you get to the third episode of your podcast, um, you are in the 99th percentile of all podcasts that ever start. Um, And I was like, man, Mutonomics is way ahead of the curve on that front. Uh, Just ignore the fact that there hasn't been an episode published in 51 weeks and focus on the fact that I'm well beyond the, the... coveted third episode um so yeah that i thought man that's a lot of podcasts and a lot of a lot of stalls and a lot of false starts um so i wanted to talk about a couple things that my brain has been pondering the first one um well it's kind of centered on the entire the overall thought of the question of asking yourself because I've been I've been doing a lot of thinking in terms of um, how come the microphone doesn't appear that it's picking up? Does this sound okay? Hello, hello. I'm gonna pause it and actually play it back and see how it goes, and I'll splice this thing together. I don't want to podcast for unknown period of time and not have it actually be picking up the audio. All right, it it is uh, picking up. It's picking up the audio just fine, although it was a little uh, little echoey um, because I forgot my forgot that I had this like trifold um, sound absorber thing that I put in front of the microphone to prevent audio waves from ricocheting off my extra large computer screen and coming back to the mic. So anyway, we're all set, ready to go, um, but. So the thought that I've been thinking about that, and it centers around um, this idea of asking the question, does something that you choose to add to your life, something you choose to engage with, does it actually add something beneficial to your life or does it make you addicted to something? And... I think this question at this particular point in time in our human history is a very important question to ask because um, I've gone back and I've reread, uh, oh nice, and Tesla's rejecting at the 48 day, which I need. Um, Well, I don't need it to, but in order to keep my put thesis intact, um, it needs to reject at that purple line. And so far it's doing a nice job of doing that. Hence, I will stay in the trade. If it closes above that purple line, I will close my trade for a minimal loss. Um, If you are trading, you need to come up with some uh, pretty tight stops. Otherwise, you will just lose every last dollar that you put into your account. Um, But the, 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 the question of is something adding something beneficial to your life or is it making you addicted? I've reread Human Action over the last few months, uh, the classic economic book um, detailing or looking at this concept of praxeology, which is kind of a, I don't know, what is that, probably a, he wrote it in the late 40s, I think, so it's got to be pushing 80, 70, 80 years. 
Um, but the idea of studying human action and the, the general conclusion that the book draws is that man or woman, a person, a human, it's human action, a human will take an action towards a desired end. And they argue that that's true of all humans everywhere, uh, regardless of race, socioeconomic background, uh, political position, whatever. There's every, every human has, has some sort of, they observe their current circumstances, they have some sort of end in mind, and they make a choice to take an action in order to get themselves closer to the desired end. So with that sort of as the backdrop, what I've done is I've stepped back and I've said, okay, what is the desired end for these, uh, all of the technology companies that have, uh, depending on how you look at it, you could say have, have invaded our lives, have taken over um, our, our lives, have you know become uh, interwoven into everything, pretty much everything we do technological devices are interwoven into our daily activities, whether good, neutral, or bad. And so I took a step further back from there and I said, okay, what's their end? You know, what is Apple's end? What is TikTok's end? What is Instagram's end? Well, largely it's to increase user engagement. Instagram wants you on their app longer than you were previously. Um, TikTok wants you to scroll through more videos than perhaps you did the month before. Uh, Netflix, when they give their earnings call, they, they talk about minutes streamed per user or hours streamed per user. YouTube's metrics are all about the number of hours watched per user um, in a given period of time. So these uh, Apple did an did a announcement, I forget which show it was. Um, it might've been that Hijack show Maybe it was Hijack. I can't remember. One of their shows that they produced um, for specifically for Apple TV, I read some snippet in some you know news thing that said that one of their shows uh, was a, new, a brand new record for most uh, most watched or most streamed hours in a 24-hour period. Um, so these these tech companies making money hand over fist so their end is to be profitable and the means for them to be profitable is for us to be giving more of our time to them which in worst case scenarios you could describe or come up with the the term that their end is to make us more addicted to their particular app, platform, show, whatever. So this idea of asking yourself, is this thing, is me opening, insert app name, is this adding something to my life, to my existence, or is this contributing to making me either initially addicted to it or further addicted to it? Um, and when I, when I look at the, there's a couple other books I've read on brain psychology over the last year. And, you know, when, when you consider the, some of the subtle things that these apps do, 
they're, I've concluded they're clearly centered around providing these dopamine hits to make you feel like you have accomplished something when in reality you haven't really accomplished something at all. And I'm sure you've seen this in Instagram, but if you open Instagram, it'll give you, for me, it gives me like, you know, maybe three or four pictures of accounts that I follow. And then when I scroll down, there's a little circle with a check mark, which subtly conveys to my brain, I, we, we associate a filled in check mark, a circle with a check mark as, oh, done, done, check that off the list. And several psychological tests, I won't name them here, I mean, they're, you can Google it yourself, um, Google the effects that accomplishing a task has on dopamine uh, secretion in the brain. And so you, you scroll through your first three or four pictures, you see the circle with the check and your brain says, ding, reward it with some dopamine because I have accomplished something. So you feel like you've accomplished something and you say, oh, that app's adding something to my life because I've accomplished something, I've checked something off. But in reality, you haven't really added anything of value into the marketplace. Sure, maybe you've 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 gleaned some value through, you know, seeing a family member's, you know, their holiday photo and you're like, "Oh, I love my family." Or, "Oh, isn't it cool that my, you know, friend from 20 years ago is in the Caribbean or whatever." Um so there there I guess there's some minuscule kind of intrinsic you know, relational value, which, you know, can be important. There's a reason it's probably called social networking. Um, We're social creatures and connections and all those things are important. But I think we have to be especially aware at this particular point in time of not allowing ourselves to get completely addicted to these technological tricks through user interface design and and psychology in order to give us the false sense that we've actually accomplished something when we haven't. Um, so there's actually there's actually a, a startup I, I found and I ordered the product and I'm gonna try it. Um, it's called the Brick, B-R-I-C-K. And their story is that they're two 20-something guys who realized that they were spending way too much time on their phones. So they've developed this app and, and a physical product, it's, it's like a little, I don't know, maybe a two by two, two inch by two inch square, little cube um, that has rounded edges, similar to like your iPhone has rounded edges. And once the app's installed, you open it and you select which apps you wanna designate as being a distraction and which apps you wanna designate as actually being pr- productivity tools. And then when, let's say that, uh, like for instance, how I'm going to use it, this little brick thing, um, it's like it's sort of like an Apple Pay thing, you know, where you like uh, tap your phone and it pays. You go to the brick and you tap it on the brick, and then it will lock all of the apps that you designated as being a distraction um, until you go back to the brick and and retap it. So the idea is you put the brick like it's magnetic. So I'm going to put it on the fridge on our middle level of our house my office is in our basement so the idea is that when you like you know get up have my cup of coffee i come downstairs maybe i tap the phone on the fridge to unlock it you know 
check whatever I want to check that's deemed a distraction, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, and then before I come downstairs to my office to actually begin to work, I would retap my phone on the fridge, which would then um, come back, computer, why'd you go to sleep on me? Um, which would then lock down those particular apps while I was downstairs. Now, if I wanted to get distracted, the idea is that it's just creating separation between you and the, the addictive nature of, of some of these apps. So if, if I really wanted to check Instagram, I would have to get up out of my desk, walk up from the basement, you know, the flight of stairs to get to the main level, go over to the kitchen, tap it on the fridge. So I, I really think the concept has a lot of legs and I, I think that you're going to start seeing a lot more innovation in this particular space as more and more people kind of realize, hopefully, that even though we're not in like, you know, gooey, liquid, sealed, cylindrical tubes like in the Matrix, where machines are plugged into us physically, like in our spinal cord, um, Metaphorically speaking or figuratively speaking, I think that the analogy that the Wachowski brothers came up with 20 some years ago is you're seeing that play out. I mean, it's, it's you know, my wife and I go to dinner and you look around, everyone in the restaurant is staring at their phone. Um, I asked uh, I ask, I ask one, of, one of our sons the other day, he was sitting on the couch and his head was like bent forward. And I said, I knew what he was doing. He was scrolling through TikTok. And I asked him, I said, hey, are you praying or sleeping? And he kind of laughed because he knew I was kind of ribbing him a little bit. Um, so I think it's extremely important, especially in the wake of AI um, being in its infancy. Um, I think it's extremely important for us to stop and remind ourselves that we are human and that we need to consciously be aware of what that means number one and two consciously be aware of preventing ourselves from becoming completely uh sucked into the matrix so to speak oh my goodness you're so paranoid why don't you just go live off the grid like your parents um i'm not talking about complete disengagement from the world um i'm just saying that i think that our brains are meant um our brains are meant for something deeper than just scrolling for pictures and getting a dopamine hit when you see the checkpoint. Like that's not deep brain activity. That's not deep thinking. That's not deep critical analysis of important issues. That's a cheap dopamine hit, which in some ways, this, this analogy is going to fall apart quickly. I'm just warning you. But in some ways is similar to a heroin junkie you know, reaching for the needle and, and shooting it directly into their veins. Um, that's a terrible analogy. Yeah, I said it was going to fall apart. So, you know, I at least warned you on the front end that it's going to fall apart. Um, so, so that's the question that I have been asking a lot is, is, is this thing, activity, content, decision, app, show, whatever it is, is this thing going to add something of value to my life or is it just going to further attempt to make me more addicted ad versus addicted so i would encourage you to be asking yourselves the same questions um sort of in the same regard uh as i said it kind of stems from this idea of human action 
And the general painting with a broom statement is that, in fact, hold on, I'm gonna scroll through here because he said it so succinctly, succinctly. Um, and this is kind of where I wanted to take this next. And I, I talked a little bit about this on an ancient book beat beverage episode back on Instagram back in the day. Um, it's going to be on reruns shortly syndicated on uh, the, sh the same channel that shows Honeymooner reruns. To the moon, wham, boom. He says... How do I, how do I want to phrase this? Um, I'll just read the paragraph, okay? It was written in the 40s. I believe, I hope it was written in the 40s. I've been, I've, in my head, I categorized this in the timeline of being written in the 40s. Watch, it's probably written in like 1890 or something. Um, I'm pretty sure it was written late 40s, post-World War II. Uh, a peasant eager to get rich, oh, sorry. A peasant eager to get a rich crop may, according to the content of his ideas, choose various methods. He may perform some magical rites, he may embark upon a pilgrimage, he may offer a candle to the image of his patron saint, or he may employ more and better fertilizer. You see what he's doing there? He's running the gamut of like superstitious things all the way down to very practical things. Superstitious things of performing a magical rite all the way down to a practical thing of, of using more and better fertilizer. And this is his conclusion. But whatever he does, it is always action, i.e. the employment of some means for the attainment of specific ends. And I think this is what I want to try to get across to you. And it's, I think, probably the one of the biggest benefits of the book, Human Action, is that even inaction is action because their definition of an action is merely something that contributes to the attainment of an end. And I think that's so important to, to understand um, because I think a lot of times we think like, oh, I have an end to have a successful business, let's just say. I have an end to have a successful business. So the means that I employ would be getting up early, understanding my customer, working on customer service, making sure the product is, is quality and reliable, and you know, probably 50 other things that go into that equation. The price point's correct. I understand the competition. I understand what the alternatives are. I understand what my supply chain threats are, all these things. And then we think, oh, okay, well, I can go away from those means, those actions, and do something else while maintaining the same end. Like, we think that if I just pause on the, the actions that would get me, or the means that would get me to my desired end, if I just kind of pause those and binge watch a show, that the end is still intact. And I think what, what Human Action, the book, is trying to get after, one of its main points, is that 
that's not the case. Like if you choose to pause, if you choose idleness, the current end that you had been pursuing no longer is really there and a new end appears. So your inaction is then applying influence towards arriving at an alternate end or a separate end. And, and I think that we just don't understand that concept very well. And, you know, the author, uh, in fact, I'm going to find out when this book is. I don't want to, I don't want to talk in, in certainties and be, um, completely out to lunch. That would be embarrassing. It would just be misleading. Human action book. Publication date, 1949. Good job, brain. Ludwig von Mises, 1949. Um, I, I think we don't really understand that. And we think, oh, I'm going to put my... I'm going to put my goal or the end I want on pause. I'm going to put on hold while I go do something else. Well, while you do that, you're, without knowing it, creating another end that you're likely to arrive at that you didn't even realize was the end you desired in the first place. And I think why this hit me so strongly is... Um, you know, when you go, in fact, if you go check out Muthanomics, I have a brand new Muthanomics.com. Um, I have an uh, updated website with a cool uh, headshot. At least I think it looks cool. Some people are going to tell me to smile, but whatever. Um, dashingly handsome uh, chiseled jawbone male models don't smile. You're neither, so smile, you fatty. <laughs> um... Anyway, I give a little backstory there of, of who I am, uh, you know, what I've, what I've experienced in, in 45 some odd trips around the sun um, on this thing we call Earth. And the reason this concept hit me so hard is when I was a teenager, 17 years old, I decided my end from the time I was three, literally, I, I picked up my first tennis racket when I was three. And if you ask my mom, she said that when I was five, she asked, maybe even four, four or five, um, they asked, they were asking us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And my sister, who was a big horse fanatic, she said she wanted to be a horse. She was a couple years younger than me. Um, so it was understandable that a three-year-old would say that. It's not like she was special ed. Um, no, you can't say that. You're discriminating. Uh, um, and then they asked me what I wanted to be, and I said Jimmy Connors. And Jimmy Connors... Uh, for those of you who don't know, was you know he, he was number one in the world for several years in the 70s, and, and I think he even reclaimed the number one ranking maybe in 83 when he won Wimbledon. I could be wrong. He had a hard time after McEnroe reached his prime, but he, he did win the 83 Wimbledon, um, I believe. Yeah, I believe he won that and beat Chris Chris Evans, Chris some some upstart dude that wasn't supposed to make it. I think he cleaned his clock in the in the final. He beat Captain America. And these rabbit trails. I forgot how many rabbit trails I go down when I podcast. I did three Wimbledon final. It wasn't Chris Evans because that's Captain America. Um oh wait, man, my my John McEnroe defeated Chris Lewis 626262. So McEnroe must have 
Connors must have won the 82. Oh, that's right, because it was eight years removed from his 74 victory. I remember that. Yeah, he beat McEnroe in, in five sets in 82. And then McEnroe clapped Chris Lewis in 83. And then McEnroe absolutely annihilated Connors the next year. Yeah, one, one, and two. Um, so I wanted to be Jimmy Connors, okay? Um, so I started playing competitive tournaments when I was seven, played competitive tournaments all the way through 18 years old. And when I was 17, I decided, and this is, this is complicated, right? This is complicated. It's like, okay, ultimately I'm responsible for the things that I choose to do. Um, you know, was I influenced in ways that, you know, maybe weren't ideal, you know, even if I was, it's still my choice, right? I still choose. So my end all along was to play Division One college tennis with an eye on trying to go uh, play professionally at some point, you know, late teens, early 20s. Well, enter the 17th year of my existence and I go to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp the message they talk about made a lot of sense to me. I decide to get involved with a church in Albuquerque and get extremely involved, start to volunteer. I do a Saturday internship. Um, and through the course of that year, my senior year in high school, I ultimately chose to give up pursuing college tennis in order to try for a year um, a one-year full-time internship at the church. And it's funny, I found an old scrapbook that uh, my, my mom put together a long, long time ago, and I was going through it this last weekend. And, you know, the, the, the Albuquerque media is pretty tiny, so there's, there's a sports writer who was following me my junior year, uh, did a front-page article on me, then he followed me my senior year, and then he wrote two more articles after I graduated, kind of tracking my involvement at the church. And, and uh, he, the last article he wrote, he titled it, Muth's, uh, ten Former Tennis Star, Muth Serves a Higher Calling. Da -da nice little play on words there, uh, journalist dude. In my mind at the time, like if I go back and, and re recollect like what was in my mind, and even if I dig up old journals and see what my quote-unquote plan was, the idea was to put college tennis on pause for a year to see how the internship went. And at the time, I thought those, were those things were complementary to each other. And now, in retrospect, and especially after rereading Human Action for the second time, what I didn't realize at the time was that by putting on pause my pursuit of playing college tennis, that end was no longer the same. It was not there. It, it's not like it just stayed unchanged. It started to deteriorate and another end began to emerge, whether I was aware of it or not. And so this is kind of what I'm talking about. And I think this is why rereading this book the second time hit so close to home is it's like, oh, that's exactly what happened um, with the whole mega church thing and playing college tennis. And so before you know it, the college tennis end is then replaced with an end to be a, a pastor. 
And so the internship leads to a job offer, which leads to spending five years working in an official capacity as a megachurch youth pastor. And at the time going through that, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking every now and then, oh, this tennis thing is still on the table. In reality, it's not because the actions that I'm choosing are no longer towards that end. They're towards a different end. So I think it's really, really important, especially for younger people, to understand this concept. And, and I think the older I get, the more I am feeling compelled um, to try to be a voice of reason and hopefully sound, solid advice for younger people who are, you know, it's, it's tough enough to be a young person trying to find your way in the world. You know, you throw on top of their record fatherlessness in our country, record divorce rates, um, you know, continual misuse of spiritual authority uh, that can, you know, kind of misguide and, and, you know, best case kind of confuse people, worst case, like permanently damage them. Um, and then you throw on top of that loud voices in social media space that are giving you advice on what to do. And then it turns out to not be great talking about every social media influencer is awesome i just read an article this morning um there is a i think it was viceroy viceroy capital um just took out a massive large that's redundant um which actually there's a word for redundant in um when i when i read ebooks i like reading paper books because my mind kind of puts in the actual physical location as far as you know left to right as far as how far I'm through the book and also which section of the page, you know, is it top right, bottom left, whatever. But the thing I do like about um, reading ebooks is that I can highlight easily, annotate, put in notes, which then I can go back and find really easily. So the, it's a love-hate relationship. I'd rather read the paper version, um, but I do like the accessibility of, of easily searching notes. Um, but anyway, I have a specific a highlight color. Any anything a word I highlight in blue, um, it's a word that either I don't know what it means, um, or I want to learn more about its context. And there's actually a word, and I forget what it was. Um, there's a word in human action that means redundant. Why don't you just say redundant? Because you sound smarter when you say a word that means something else. <laughs> Um, but what's funny is that if you put that word in front of redundant, then you're essentially saying redundant, redundant, which is funny to me. Um, where was I going? Oh, so I was reading Viceroy Capital. They just took out a really large short position in a company called Arbor something, Arbor Trust Realty. And their short thesis, anytime you trade stocks, either long or short or sideways, you can even trade them sideways with exotic options instruments like iron condors and things. Um, anytime you approach a stock and decide to commit money, either long, short, or sideways, one, you realize it's all a fugazi, to quote Matthew McConaughey from Wolf of Wall Street, um, but two, you have a thesis. And their thesis is that, wow, Arbor Trust Capital has given a lot of shady 
adjustable rate loans to TikTok influencers to go out and buy massive apartment complexes. And so I was looking through uh, some of these deals that they've done and it's like, holy smokes, they gave that 24-year-old kid $75 million to go buy apartment complexes and refurbish them, rent them, and then try to turn around and refinance them at a, at a, at a non-adjustable rate. So their thesis is that there is a TikTok influencer uh, multifamily housing uh, bubble that is about to blow up in our faces because of increased interest rates and these these young people's ability or inability to successfully um, provide a good rental experience. And one of them they highlighted this girl. Uh, she has a, a property in Houston and a property in Phoenix. And the one of them, I don't remember which one, it's either Houston or Phoenix. It has an average rating of like 1.2 stars on Yelp. And you go read through the comments and it's like the service is non-existent. There's maintenance issues. The things are broken. You can never get in touch with anybody. And it's largely because they're servicing the balloon interest, the ballooning interest and don't have the funds to then service the property, which means that the product and the service goes into the toilet, which means that ultimately the business will fail. Um, and, you know, hey, hey, and it's capitalism, I guess, creative destruction. So they're going to probably displace, you know, there's probably going to be a, a, a lot of people getting displaced out of these multifamily units where they can't service it. And so I bring that up to say, as I get older and I reflect on my life, I realize how seductive, passionate, That could go a lot of ways <laughs> following the word seductive with passionate could go a lot of different ways. But I, I, I reflect and realize how seductive a passionate appeal to the emotions can be. Um, and, you know, the, the pitch given to me was, oh, you're young. You can be a world changer. You can go down in the history books as being a famous a uh, Christian personality or famous evangelist or someone responsible for saving all of these people. Um, and so that appeals to me, right? It appeals to my youthful arrogance. It appeals to my youthful idealism. Um, it appeals to a lot of things. And at the time, you don't realize, oh, wow, the people who were making the pitch, they operate by the same means and ends motives that that drive me so their their end you know in retrospect was hey we can you know there's a little bit of local publicity here to be had for recruiting this semi-famous local tennis player to our church so that we can get articles in the newspaper that say hey this guy played tennis for for you know 15 years and gave up division one in order to work at our church look at us we're special we're called by god so there's there's, there's, there's means and ends in play with every individual human. And so when a TikTok influencer gives some pitch of, hey, go take out 75 mil, you know, they've got an end in mind. And the, partly part of the means in order for them to get to the end is to go viral, which necessarily means that they want a grip load of people to buy into their philosophy. So as I get older, I'm going, man, 
I need to contribute to perhaps tempering or at least giving maybe a little bit of uh, life experience context to some of these uh, things that are going on as it relates specifically to younger people finding their way in the world. Um, now, this podcast pretty much entirely dedicated um, to economics, human action, um, cause and effect, means and ends, all those sorts of things. Um, and, and what I like about the Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises book is he even says, hey, you know, there's other disciplines out there. There's theology, there's mysticism, there's psychology, there's physiology, there's biology, there's chemistry, there's all these other things. And human action and the study of economics doesn't necessarily, doesn't really involve any of those. We're just limiting to the end desired and the effort or the action put forth towards that end. So, um, so I'm hoping that, that you can see, whether you're young or middle-aged or old, that these tech companies, wow, what a rough transition. Uh, just consider the fact that these tech companies have an end in mind i.e. their profit, which their profit is a function of the time we spend engaging with their product. Therefore, ergo, um, it behooves them to come up with psychological strategies and design elements to further addict us to their particular brand. Um, so I would put that in your back pocket and consider. Um, I will let you know how the brick goes. Um, I'm really excited to give it a try. Uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense in this day and age of needing more and more. Focus is becoming more and more the differentiator. You know, I think at different times throughout our history, you know, maybe connections were you know, who your dad knew or, you know, who you knew at the country club. Um, not that I benefited from any of that. Um, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, you know, your, your family tree, maybe, you know, the school you went to. Um, you know, a lot of those things still are influential. But I think the thing that is more and more becoming the differentiator in this uh, time of human existence is focus. Focus is really becoming the differentiator. It is the competitive advantage in a world that is completely awash in wireless, wireless, wire, man, I butchered that. I was trying to roll off a nice little impromptu phrase. Like a talented radio host instead of the hack podcaster I am. Um, in a world that is wirelessly connected to the matrix. Um, so yeah, things to consider. Maybe make a list. Maybe, maybe write down the first thing that comes to your mind of, hey, this is the end I want. And then make a list of your actual actions. Not the actions that would get you to that end, but just write down, hey, this is the end I want. I want to be a firefighter. And then you write down what your actual current actions are and objectively step back and say, are those actions contributing to that end? If they're not, you're delusional and you are medicating yourself with social media dopamine hits. Step back and say, you know, my end 
is to help the homeless in my city. And then you write down what your actual actions are. And you might find that really the end of wanting to help homeless people is conditionally attached to some sort of thought in your head that says, well, when I achieve a certain amount of money. And then your actions are more towards achieving a certain amount of money than they are in helping people. The human mind is amazing. And the human heart, the prophet Jeremiah, this is economics, not Bible. The prophet Jeremiah said that the human heart is deceptively wicked who can understand it. Um, so the, the mind is, is very adept at playing tricks even on itself or even on us. That's, that's weird. The mind can play tricks and sabotage ends without us really even being aware of it. Maybe your end is to lose weight this year. Maybe your end is like, hey, I want to shed 20 pounds. I want to shed 30 pounds. Well, if that's your end, you have to make a list of what your actual actions are and objectively analyze it. If, you're, if your current actions are overeating, you know, eating junk food past 6 p.m., sitting on the couch till midnight, you know, snacking, you know, you're... You never make it to the gym. You never get on the Peloton. You never lift a weight. Well, then you're deluding yourself. And again, if, you're, if your actions are incommensurate with the end, what ends up happening is you will medicate. And that is not a fun way to live. And this is something I, I phrase it to my wife um, you know, because uh, BVBPB, that's how I remember it. Um, and I, I talked a little bit about this last year, 51 weeks ago, or maybe even longer, you know, the whole concept of, um, you know, breaking out of the cycle of, of hope and despair. You know, the, the trend, the trend I experienced in a couple different uh, areas of my life was a big vision followed by a big promise followed by betrayal and I think what you need to be aware of is more oftentimes than not we individually can be the source that betrays the big vision or the big promise that we've made you know we're so programmed to point the finger and to look outwards and to say it's not my fault it's somebody else they they duped me or they scammed me or they prevented me from or they beat me to the punch or they 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 i think the path forward in 2024 is to recognize and admit that you personally me personally are probably the first source or the first cause that betrays any big vision or big promise or big plan that you have. And, and if, you, if you recognize that, you'll stop medicating. If you recognize that, you're likely to actually change your current actions. Um, and which, even though that's difficult... Um, would be productive and, and contribute to actually achieving the end that you desired. And so the thing that I told my wife was the concept of, um, you know, you get sometimes we get in a cycle of medicating 
instead of materializing. And I'm not saying that we have like some like, you know, ex nihilo divine ability to like speak into existence certain things. Um, you know, and other people would probably disagree with that. I know there's a whole movement of like, you know, speaking it into the universe and it comes about. Um, my theological podcast um, would disagree with that. So I, I couldn't in good conscience say that that I think that that is necessarily the case. But what I do think if we're talking purely about cause and effect, if we're talking purely about praxeology um, that Ludwig von Mises talks about, is that when we, get, when we get disappointed or we feel betrayed, we get into actions that medicate, and that becomes self-perpetuating. The, the secret sauce, which isn't really secret at all, it's just difficult is to take actions that support something materializing. Um, so I think I could, I, there's other things I want to talk about, like the Cowboys stinking. Um, oh man, Tesla is just riding that ribbon downwards. That's starting to look like, oof. Let me see here. You can't live trade and podcast. The production quality is lame. It is riding downwards on the purple, but the purple starting to flatten out, which is starting to look like a descending triangle, which is bullish, which means I should probably, I should, what's it, 1229? I should probably close my short. Um, I should probably take my put off and I should probably go long, I don't know, 217 calls. That's probably what I should do, the way that chart's shaping up. Um, Well, that's a decision for me to make. Yeah, and it's been making lower. It's been making higher lows. Uh, see, a, see a put, put, leaving, leaving town, switching over to calls. We'll see if that works out next time. Um, so yeah, I'll let you know. The brick goes. Hope everybody's off to a good start to the year. Uh, be cognizant and conscious of the actions that you are taking and recognize that inaction is means unto itself and it will convert the end into something else. I think that's all I want to say. Have a great day and we'll see you on the next episode. Adios!